being here for worship today. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Holy Word and open to Luke's Gospel, uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 15, verses 8, 9, and 10. In Luke 15, as we continue in our series on lostness, the oneness of lostness. Luke chapter 15, verse 8, 9, and 10. Now, there are two kinds of people on earth, right? Those whose names are written in heaven. We just sang about that. (laughs) Those who have trusted in Christ and your name is written in heaven. And the Lord says, if that's you, that we're to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. There's another group of people on planet earth whose names are not written in heaven, who have not yet to trust Christ as their Savior, but there is still time. Amen? Yes, there's still time. Steve Winger writes about his last college test. He took a final exam in a logic class. And this class was known for its most difficult exams. So I want to quote what he wrote about this test. Listen to this. To help us on our test, the professor told us we could bring as much information to the exam as we could fit on a piece of notebook paper. Despite this gracious act, only one student made an A. Most students crammed as many facts as possible on this eight and a half by 11 inch sheet of notebook paper. But one student walked into class, put a piece of blank notebook paper on the floor, and had an advanced logic graduate student come stand on that piece of paper. And everything that student taking the test needed to know, that graduate student told him. He's the only student that made an A. The ultimate final exam for all of us is coming one day. We are all going to stand and give an account to our Creator, to our God, to our Savior. Every one of us will. And it will be us. It will be you and it will be me. We won't be together. We won't be there with our parents or mom or dad or children. Or It'll be us, one by one, giving an account. And listen, we cannot pass the exam on our own. You can take all the good deeds and, and, and write them on every sheet of paper this world has ever seen, and it would never be enough. We just can't pass it on our own. But there is one, just one. The Bible says there's one mediator between God the Creator and the human race. One that brings us together. One that, 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 that overcomes the gulf that's been fixed between a holy God and sinful people. And that one is Jesus. For Hebrews says, hey, I mean, 2 Timothy, it says that there's one, one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Here is the one who has come to save us from our sins. So today, I want to talk to you on that subject. As we think about lostness and the oneness of lostness, I want you to know there's only one Savior. There's not two Saviors or three or four or five or six. There's one. (laughs) There's just one mediator, but that's all we need is just one. So that's what I want to speak to you about today from Luke 15, 8, 9, and 10. So what I want to do is I want to read the text to get us started here. If you don't have a Bible, you can see it right here, the Scripture. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I want to read this, and then I want to point out four ways from this text that will help us focus on this one mediator. So here we go. Verse number 8 in Luke 15. 
Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, just one, one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. Not watch me rejoice, but rejoice with me. For I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God, we, we are just amazed, Lord, at, at what you've done in and through us. And today that we can gather either on campus or online. It is phenomenal that we can all be together even if we're not in the same room together and open the Word of God together and dive into your Scripture together and be convicted together and be challenged together. We pray for decisions today to be made that lights will be lit, that they'll be sweeping and seeking diligently and those that are far from you, that are lost without you, will come near to you today and be saved today. They'll be rescued today. They'll be given hope today. They'll be given a future today. We pray for those who know you that there's decisions we need to make to become more and more in the likeness of Christ. So help us today, whether we're on a journey to Jesus or on our journey with Jesus to take one more step today. We ask it all in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. So the big idea today, the main uh, idea of this message is simply this. We are undivided in Christ. We could stand here and we could talk about all the ways we're divided. right? And there's so many ways that we're divided today. But in Christ, <laughs> Christ has taken what was once divided and caused it to be undivided. So today, we are undivided in Christ. So I want to pull out four ways that we can think about being undivided from this parable, or this portion of the parable. So look at verse 8. Here's the first one. Undivided as one human race. We are undivided as one human race. I know there are many races that make up, ethnicities that make up the human race. But we are undivided as one human race. And Jesus did a masterful job of making the, the level plain, uh, that plain level at the foot of the cross. He did a masterful job of that. It didn't matter if you were a Pharisee of a Pharisee or an outcast of a sinner. That, that, that plain is level at the cross. And so notice how he does it here. In his masterful teaching using parables. Now, we got to understand why he was talking in parables here anyway. Well, remember, there was some elitist, those who thought they were better than everybody else, those who looked at everybody else at all, oh, they're just a bunch of riffraff. And, and they looked at Jesus who was, who was inviting and being the guest of tax collectors and sinners, and that's what they said. You can look back in Luke 15, verse number 2. This man receives sinners and eats with them? Who does he think he is? And so then Jesus began to tell them a parable. And back over in verse 4 of this parable, Jesus gets these Pharisees to imagine themselves as shepherds. 
Now, you have to understand how insulting that would have been for a Pharisee. To imagine himself as a shepherd would be so insulting and so offensive. And so this is how Jesus does it. Look at verse 4. What man of you? So obviously he's talking to the Pharisees and he's pulling them into the parable. What man of you, and he pulls them in, having 100 sheep or 100 sheep. And they're thinking, what? You want me to think of myself as a shepherd? Are you nuts? These shepherds are uneducated. They're unskilled. They're unclean in our eyes. They're unclean. We think they're dishonorable. We we, we think they're unreliable. How could you ever make me put, make me imagine myself as a shepherd? In fact, shepherds were viewed as the lowest on the social ladder, just above tax collectors and sinners, pretty low. In fact, they were not allowed to testify in court. Shepherds were not allowed. Shepherds, they obviously took care of sheep, and sheep are going to be sheep seven days a week. They don't take a day off from being a sheep. And so they couldn't keep the regulations the Pharisees set in place on the Sabbath because they had to take care of the sheep. The sheep didn't care if it was the Sabbath or not. They didn't care. And so they couldn't keep these off. So the Pharisees viewed them as riffraff, man, the outcast, the scum. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Imagine yourself as a shepherd. You got 100 sheep, you lose one, don't you leave the 99 to go after the one. Now, shepherds, obviously, in this day and time, were viewed at the bottom of the barrel. They were not even allowed to testify. Isn't that fascinating? That the very group of people that were unable to testify in the courts of man, God used them to testify the birth of Messiah. How about that? I was visiting, or we were visiting some family this week in Mississippi, Walked into my mom's house, and on the TV was the Hallmark Channel. (sighs) And on the Hallmark Channel, it was Christmas in July. What do you mean, whoo? I think that was my wife. Christmas in July. And had all these Christmas movies. So I want to, it's July. So what I want to do, I want to take you back to that first Christmas in Luke 2. Listen to this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Somebody say manger. (laughs) Not a mansion. (laughs) He was not laid in a mansion. The king of the Jews was not laid in a mansion. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a, not a mansion, but a what? A manger. You know, one reason, I mean, Jesus could have been born in a mansion just as well as he could have been born in a manger. But here's what we got to remember. If he was born in a mansion, those shepherds wouldn't have been allowed in a thousand feet to a mansion. 
They weren't welcome at a mansion. They weren't invited to a mansion. But oh, they have more than welcome to come to a manger. See, when Christ came, he didn't come for some elitist group. He came for all of us that come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're one human race, undivided. As men, women, boys, and girls, in the eyes of God, there is one sinful human race. So the same people, these shepherds that were told, you can't testify in any court of man, are the very ones who did this. Listen to this. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that was been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Wow. God uses the very people that the world says, oh, they're not good enough, they're riffraff. you got to just throw them out. God uses those very ones to announce not what's for dinner, not to announce what new show's coming out, but to announce the birth of Messiah, the Savior of the world, who has come to take away the sin of the world. Wow, that's who our God is. That's who my God is. And then we look at verse 8. And if we think Pharisees imagining themselves as shepherds was bad, in this culture, as evil as it was, in this culture, women had no rights whatsoever. A man could divorce a woman for no reason at all. She had no rights. In fact, one of the rabbi's prayers was this, Thank you, Lord, for not making me a woman. How evil and tragic is that? That's the mindset, the culture of this day. So in verse 8, when Jesus said, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, now the Pharisees are thinking, What, you want me to imagine myself as a woman? Have you lost it? And, and, and this, is, this is who our Savior is. When Jesus came to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he was talking with this woman at the well, the disciples were dumbfounded that he was talking, number one, to somebody of a different ethnicity, number two, someone of a different gender. They were blown away. Even the Samaritan woman said this, how can you, to Jesus, she said, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? She was blown away that this man was talking to her in public of another ethnicity blew her away and I love how Jesus responded to that take your Bibles and go left to John chapter 4 if you have your cup take your Bibles go to John chapter 4 I want you to see how Jesus responded uh, to this lady who was blown away saying how is it that you would you ask me for a drink and Jesus answered her listen to this if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's John chapter 4, verse number 10. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Here's what Jesus is saying. Y'all need, need to come in here real close and listen to this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, don't you be shocked and don't you be blown away that I am a male and I am a Jew speaking to a female who is a Samaritan. Don't be blown away that our ethnicities are different and our gender is different. Don't be blown away that I'm asking you for a drink. You need to be blown away that I, God in the flesh, 
Like God in the flesh is asking you for a drink. And if you knew that I was God in the flesh, you would ask me for living water and I'd give it to you. You see how Jesus just flipped the script, went totally counterculture. It it doesn't matter if you're male, female, black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, uneducated, educated, tall, not so tall, skinny, not so skinny. doesn't matter. We are undivided as one human race in need of a Savior who has come by grace to save us from our sin. Jesus, I want you to understand that the Samaritan woman was the very first missionary to go out and proclaim Christ to her own village. And Jesus used the women. I mean, it was the women at the resurrection of Christ who were the first to see Jesus gone, who were the first to say, He's not here. He is risen, who took that message from the angel to the disciples that Jesus is gone, and they wouldn't believe Him. So here's Jesus. This is who your Savior is. This is who my Savior is. This is who our God is, who takes the shepherds, who were told you can't testify in court, and women who were told you can't testify in a religious court, and he uses shepherds and women to proclaim not only the birth of Messiah, but his resurrection. This is who our God is. Man, the plane is level at the cross. Jesus has come for one and for all. He died so that you and I might live, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And the gift is free. It's free. Sure, there are many races, I get it, but there's only one human race. So how are we undivided as a human race? First of all, we need to know that we are all image bearers of God. We've been made in the image of God. God has made them male and female in His image. We're all image bearers of God. Number two, we need to know that we're all sinners, right? And we all sin. I sin, you sin. Conservative sin, liberal sin, Josh sins, Brad sins. I got two amens over there. Your mom sins, your dad sins, your brother sins, your sister sins, your children sins. Josh sins, Brad sins, right? Baptist sin and Methodist sin and non-denominational folks sin and we all sin. Josh sins, right? And Brad sins. We, we all are, we're all sinners. We all, in fact, Ed Stetzer said this. Here's what Ed Stetzer said. The most dangerous person in your church is the man or woman who forgot he or she is a sinner. That's the most dangerous person. To have this self-righteous, pharisaical spirit about us that says, I've graduated from sin. No, you haven't. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That makes the plane level at the cross. That We're undivided as one human race. I was reading something the other day from this college president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And he made this statement, which caught my attention is why I read the article. He said, we are not a daycare, we're a university. I said, well, where'd that come from? Well, apparently in one of their chapel services, the speaker preached on 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. Describes agape love. And one student, after the the message, came forward during the invitation and went to one of the professors and claimed that he was victimized, that that he had been targeted and victimized because he was not loving people the way 1 Corinthians 13 said we ought to be loving people. He was under conviction 
but he, he characterized it as being victimized and feeling uncomfortable. And somebody needed to be held accountable for making him feel uncomfortable. You know, the gospel is offensive, okay? I was offended by the gospel at 21 years of age when I heard that my sin had separated me from God. I thought I was good enough. I learned that I wasn't, but Jesus is. And I learned that I was wrong and he was right. And I learned that he loved me. This is what I learned, that God knows the worst about me. And he knows the worst about you. Yet he's the one who loves us the most. Think about that. That's who our God is. So the gospel cares more about the callousness of your sin than the color of your skin. The gospel cares more about you repenting of your sin and me repenting of my sin than resenting others for their sin. The gospel cares more about our personal forgiveness than our political affiliation. The gospel cares more about our faith than our feelings. The gospel cares more about our citizenship in heaven than our membership in this church. The gospel is offensive. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, black, white, red, yellow, young, old, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. The gospel is an equal opportunity offender. The Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity convictor. And Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. Pharisees, tax collectors, sinners, shepherds, men, women, boys, and girls, we are undivided as one human race. Number two, we are undivided one house at a time. Now, getting into the parable here, verse 8 says this woman has 10 silver coins and she loses a coin. Now, when you think of these 10 silver coins, you need to think of them like a wedding band, like a wedding ring. Think of it like that. Uh, What they would do is when ladies would get engaged at this time in the east, they would take these coins and sew them together for a headdress and they'd wear that headdress on their wedding day. It's what the bride and the bride's family would contribute to the wedding. See, I, I'm, I'm much more comfortable and in favor of how weddings occur in Eastern customs than I am in Western customs. See, in the West, the, the, the father of the bride, the, the bride's family, pays for most of, if not all, the wedding traditionally, generally. In the East, it's the complete opposite. Like the groom and his family pays for most everything and the bride just brings the dowry, the, 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 the headdress, right? So as a father of two daughters, as a dad to two daughters, on this 12th day of July, I, I make a motion. I already got a second and a third before the motion's made. I make a motion that we introduce and adopt this Eastern custom into our American weddings. Do I have a second? All in favor say, yeah! Yeah. All right, got a few of them. So this coin, it's the lostness of this coin is so much different than the lostness of the sheep. Like the sheep wandered off. Right? Like a coin doesn't A coin can't wander off like the sheep did. So the lostness of the sheep was the sheep knew it was lost, just didn't know how to get back. This coin has no idea it's lost. Has no idea it's lost. It's lost out of maybe neglect or carelessness, not because it wandered off. So, I mean, I know we think of things like, for example, we we don't, it's reasonable us to think of a, have you ever been reading a book and get lost in the book? A reader gets lost in a book. That's reasonable. 
or, or an actor getting lost in character. That's reasonable. Or we think of somebody that's lost, communication being lost in translation. Or a ship lost at sea. That makes sense. Or maybe the Robinsons lost in space or whatever. But we don't often think of or something being lost in the mail, like a stuffed animal that I supposedly bought my sister 28 years ago for her birthday, and it's still lost in the mail. I, I don't. So, so we get that. We understand how things can be lost, but I've never heard that much about a person being lost at home, unless they have dementia or Alzheimer's. It's not, not really something we say or think about, oh, they're lost at home. No, home is the place, the one place where you won't be lost, Right? Well, this coin is lost at home. It doesn't know it's lost until the owner of it discovers up, or the woman discovers it's gone. And he says, oh, it's lost. Some of you have somebody who is lost in your home, that is without Christ in your home, that is far from God in your home. Maybe a grandchild or a child or a parent or grandparent or a sibling, or a spouse that is lost at home. I want to encourage you not to stop. What I love about this portion of this parable is the search is thorough and diligent. I mean, this is one of the most diligent, thorough searches you'll read of in Scripture, the way it's described to us. That she lights a lamp, that she sweeps, that she seeks until she finds it. That means you need not give up on your loved ones. Don't you dare give up on your family. Don't you dare give up on those in your house who are far from God. You pray for them, you point them to Jesus, and you continue to do so. Don't you give up on them. Day 7, as we're praying for our one, our prayer guide on day 7 that you can find on our website or on the bridge, our, our digital bulletin. Today's prayer comes from that passage in 2 Timothy 2 where it says that they would be granted repentance. We need to pray that they would be granted repentance. And don't you stop praying for them. Don't you stop the thorough, diligent search for them to be found. Listen how this search is explained here. It's quite involved. (laughs) Listen to it here. Here we go. Verse number 8. She lights a lamp. Okay? Now, a lamp in this house would have been very critical because there were no windows in these houses. They didn't have windows. For some reason, Tanya doesn't think we have windows in our house. We have so many lamps. Here's a lamp. There's a lamp everywhere. There's a lamp. There's lamps everywhere in our house. We have windows in our house. We don't need lamps like this lady would need a lamp because there's no light coming in from anywhere. So she lights a lamp and starts searching. And she's searching this dark room for her lost coin. The Bible says that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, I've come into the world that those who believe in me might not remain in darkness. That they might come into the light. There's no darkness in God at all. He is light. He is the light. In heaven, He's the light. Like, He's it. So don't you give up pointing people to Christ. Don't you give up sharing the gospel with them. Don't you give up on the word of God in your home. Like light a lamp. Read scripture. Quote scripture. Pray scripture over your family. Light the lamp. 
Somebody needs to turn on the light and pass the salt as we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth in our homes. Lost at home. Secondly, don't she light a light? Look what the Bible says in verse number 8. She sweeps the house. Now, this, this floor in these houses was very rocky. It's very rocky in, in Israel. The earth is just rocky. And so they put straw down to make it soft. And so the picture is a coin falling in the straw, through the straw, to the rock. And so she's sweeping the straw away to find the coin. She is diligently searching for this lost coin. Don't you stop searching. See, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't sweep our sin under the rug. The Holy Spirit sweeps away the rug of sin to find the sinner, to seek and save the lost. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Think about Zacchaeus. I was reading Zacchaeus this past week, and I read it so many times, and I saw something that I've not seen before. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree waiting for Jesus to pass by, and Jesus comes to that tree and looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I am going to stay at your house today. And so the Bible says he received, that Zacchaeus received the Lord joyfully. And then listen to what meanwhile is happening among the scribes and Pharisees. Here's what it says in Luke 19. They grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So same thing that happened in 15 happened in 19 in Luke. And so Zacchaeus stands up to the Lord in his house and says, Lord, if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I'm going to repay it fourfold. So he has changed. There's a change in Zacchaeus. And then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. So I want you to understand what happened at Zacchaeus' house. Like Jesus, the Savior, came to his house. Today, I'm going to stay at your house. And when the Savior comes to your house, he brings salvation with him. When the Savior comes to your house, heaven comes with him. When the Savior comes to your house, salvation comes with him. So so we are undivided, one house at a time. People are saved in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, one house at a time. Cornelius was saved in his family, one house at a time. Lydia was saved in her family, one house at a time. The Philippian jailer was saved, one house at a time. We are undivided, one house at a time. It's all through Scripture. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. End of verse 8, look at it with me. Seek diligently. That means don't give up. Don't give up until she finds it not until she gets tired not until she finds something better to do not until she finds something out that she doesn't like about so and so or she doesn't like about that coin or find out it's not as valuable as she might have thought it was nope she searches until she finds it she doesn't give up don't neglect your own house that's what I want to challenge you with don't you dare neglect your own house don't get so fixated on what ought to happen or what should happen or what must happen in somebody else's house, in your neighbor's house, at the camp house, at the coffee house, at the church house, at the courthouse, at the white house, and neglect what should happen in your own house. Search diligently in your own house. Number three, we are undivided as one household of faith, as one church. Like we're one church. There are not going to be denominations in heaven. You know that, right? It's going to be one church. From every tribe, language, nation, and people in heaven. A multitude praising God and saying salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. So we're undivided as one household of faith. Verse number 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me. I I love the unity there. She calls them together and they rejoice together. 
Like with one another, they're rejoicing. They're unified. Now, these were neighbors. These were people like you and like me. Friends like you and like me. Do we agree on everything? Absolutely not. Do we do things the same way? Absolutely not. Do we think the same way about everything? Absolutely not. Some of you are either homeschooling or have homeschooled your kids. Some of you prefer public school. Some of you prefer private school. We're all different. We think differently. We look at things differently. Some of us are different politically. Or some of us are for masks and some of us not for masks. I mean, we're, we're divided on so many, so many things. But in Christ, we're undivided. Like as one household of faith. We can unify and come together. Now the culture says we can't do that. Our culture says, listen, if you don't agree with somebody, if you don't believe or think like they do, or they don't believe and think like you, then you just cancel them. Well, that's not what the gospel says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're one race, and when we come together in Christ, we become one church. I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't adopt that cancel culture attitude toward you and me, aren't you? Aren't you so grateful Jesus doesn't cancel us? The only thing he cancels about you and cancels about me is our sin and our shame by nailing it to the cross. Man, I'm thankful for that. As people, we are divided on much. But as a church, we are undivided in Christ. I'm going to quote the late Charlie Daniels. I love what he said. His fingertips are all over my career. I attribute every good thing that has ever happened to me to him and his son, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, end quote. You may not like everything Charlie Daniels liked. You may not like his music. You might not like what he stood for or believed in on this or that or the other. But we're one in Christ. He's going to be in heaven because of his testimony of Jesus. Because Jesus saved his soul. He's going to be in heaven. And the gospel gives us that unity, that undividedness that we have in Christ. You, you showed this this week as a church. I'm so proud of you. We had over nearly 60 volunteers handed out, my heavens, over 1,700 boxes of food this week. Oh, five to 600 families that we prayed for, shared the gospel with, and took what was left to, our, uh, to, 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 to a sister church, Mount Canaan Baptist Church, Brother Trene Jordan, and, and he used it to, to bless his community. Man, what, what a picture of the church! Unified in Christ as a household of faith. Number four, last one. We're undivided as one in heaven. Undivided as one in heaven. Listen, verse number 10 is so good. It's very similar to verse number seven. Very similar. There's an ad added angels before the throne of God, but otherwise the picture is there is much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. You think, man, what's the big deal? I got nine coins out of ten. What's the big deal of losing one? What is the value of one? Like we look at that and think, man, I still got nine. Do I really need to go after the one? Jesus values the one as much as he does the nine, and he values the nine as much as he does the one. That's who our God is. He values every soul. Every soul that's far from him. Every soul that's near to him. He cherishes every one of them, values them each individually, every one. And so that's what verse 10 is all about. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In other words, yes, the angels rejoice. But before the angels of God, at the throne of God, Jesus is rejoicing 
over you, sinner who repents. The throne of God is rejoicing. Like Jesus is unashamed of every sinner who repents at the throne of God. Like he's unashamed. And there's much rejoicing going on in the throne room of God, that Jesus, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And we need to understand what that means, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. First of all, it means that he was resurrected. If Jesus lived and died on the cross and was buried, how can he be at the right hand of God? How? Because three days later, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven... And is seated at the right hand of God. Which means he was resurrected. It also means that Jesus is God. Perfect in every way. A reporter this week, Don Lemon, said that if you believe in Jesus, if Jesus is the one who you believe in, admittedly, he said that Jesus was not perfect when he was here on this earth. Well, that's just not true. That is heresy. It's not true. I would love to have a conversation with Don and talk to him about the gospel and talk to him about how Peter said he, Jesus, committed no sin and there's no deceit in his mouth. How the author of Hebrews said that, that, that he was tempted in every respect that we are, yet Jesus was without sin. He is God in the flesh. He, 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 Colossians says he's the image of the invisible God. The, the, the very first couple of verses in Hebrews says he's the exact imprint, the exact representation of God, that he was with God in the beginning, that he was God in the beginning, that he is God today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. Now, in Jesus' day, there were people who didn't believe that. Today, there are people who don't believe that. But this is the truth, that Jesus is God in the flesh, come to die, the perfect Lamb of God, unblemished in every way. Just think about it. If Jesus was not perfect, then we're still dead in our sin. And we're going to have to pay the penalty of our sin. But because Jesus was perfect, the perfect unblemished Lamb of God, that he paid your sin debt and mine, and we don't have to pay it. He's paid it in full. And we can trust him. And live for him and in him and through him. That he is the image of God. So when we think about rejoicing before the throne of God, you need to think about who's all, who all is there. God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, the angels. You know there's Pharisees in heaven? Do you know that? There's at least one Pharisee in heaven. I know that. Paul the Apostle. Possibly Nicodemus as well. But we know Paul the Apostle's there. And he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We know he's there because he put his faith in Christ. We know there's at least one tax collector there. His name's Zacchaeus because he put his faith in Christ. We know there's sinners there who trusted Christ. We know that at the throne there is no male or female or black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. We're all one in Christ and we'll be all one in heaven. For Revelation 7 says it like this. After I looked and behold a great multitude. Many people that no one could number, by the way, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. I think about Pentecost and all the languages there. And the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born. It's a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. That there's thousands of languages all represented at the throne of God. And all nations and all peoples and all tribes represented there at the throne. And all of those folks rejoice every time one sinner repents. There is rejoicing among them all. 
and we will have one voice, one victorious proclamation, one triumphant voice crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. So if you're here today, and the song we sang just before this message, if you're here today and you say, man, I don't think my name is written in heaven, then what I want to encourage you to do is to right now have a conversation with God, wherever you are, in this room, on campus, or online. Talk to God like I'm talking to you. And you don't have to do it verbally or audibly. You can do it in your, in, in your heart, in your mind. Just talk to him and say, Father, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you. But I know you love me so much, you sent Christ. You sent Jesus to die in my place. And instead of me to pay my penalty for my sin. And I believe that. In my heart, I believe that. And so today, I want to ask you to forgive me. I'm putting my faith, which is believing in your heart, and then trusting with your mouth, with your heart, with your life, that Jesus is the Savior. And if you'll do that, if you'll call on Jesus, believing that way, you'll be saved today. And we want to help you with that decision. So you can pray that on your own. You can text us, connect to 79969, and we'll have somebody talk with you immediately. So text the word connect. If you're in the room or outside of the room, it doesn't matter. Text the word connect to 79969, and it'll prompt you on how to let us know you want to have a conversation about trusting Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you want to be baptized. Maybe you need to have a prayer request. Again, text that one word, connect, to 79969, and you'll be prompted there on what you'll need to do to have a prayer request offered to us or maybe a baptism or, or, or to learn more about our church. Just text the word connect. If you're a guest for the first time, either in person or online, text the word guest to 79969 so we can get connected with you. Whatever decision you've made today, let us know by texting the word connect to 79969. Church, we are undivided in Christ. There is much that divides us. I know it. But in Christ, we're undivided. Like, think about that for a moment. Think about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This one who is unashamed of us before the throne of God, unblemished in every way. This one who, who did not cancel us, he uncanceled us, not canceling us, by canceling our sin and shame at the cross. Think about this one who has for us in heaven an inheritance that is undefiled. That, a crown of glory that is unfading. Think about this one who, who, who is, is unequaled as every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about this one who united us not only in his death like his, so we can be united in a resurrection like his. Think about the one who, who died for the ungodly. Think about the one who rules and reigns over the unjust, who was not unkind to us, but kind to us, who unleashes his church through the power of the word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
This one who says that, yes, the things seen are transient, but those that are unseen are eternal. This one with, with, who, who, who writes and talks about Moses and, and how Moses' face was veiled and Moses had a mask over his face because the people could not gaze at the glory of the Lord because Moses is not the one to bring us into the kingdom. Jesus is the one who brings us into the kingdom. So we all with unveiled face, with unmasked face, we behold the glory of the Lord, our Savior and God, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So church, remember, we are undivided. So let's stop being divisive on all the social media platforms. The Holy Spirit has never needed a platform to convict anybody of sin, and He certainly doesn't need your help on your social media platforms to convict anybody else of their sin. So let's stop being divisive and let's focus on how we're undivided in Christ.